never fails. And that song really dovetails nicely with uh, the word this morning. If you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll read verses 10 to 13. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand and to stand firm. This passage reminds us that as Christians, we do have an enemy. He is a defeated enemy, but nevertheless, he still seeks to hinder our walk with God and our effectiveness in mission. The Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 11:14, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. A roaring lion at one end and an angel of light at the other. John Stott, commenting on these two verses, says, Satan is both a bully and a beguiler. In verse 11 of our reading, Paul refers to the devil's schemes. And in 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul tells us we're not unaware of his schemes. Revelation 12.10 tells us exactly what one of those schemes is. It tells us in Revelation 12.10 that Satan is the accuser of God's people. He seeks to put barriers between us and God and us and each other. There is nothing Satan loves more than division and disunity because he knows it makes any organization, let alone the church, ineffective. That's why in John 17, when Jesus prays for you and me, top of his prayer list, verse 21, that all of them may be one. Verse 23, may they be brought to complete unity. The Apostle Paul knew the importance of this as he traveled round the churches and everything that he saw. So in Ephesians 4.3, he appeals to them and he appeals to you and me. And he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The Apostle Paul seems to suggest that sometimes it's going to require effort for Christians to get on with each other. Fancy that. I mean, you might be easygoing, level-headed, and dead easy to get on with, but I'm not so sure about the person next to you. Are you? Just have a glance in their direction, you'll see what I mean. But for Paul, this was not about having a personality clash with someone, which happens. In Paul's day, society was made up of groups that clashed. Groups between which there was tension. There was Jews and Gentiles. And they didn't get on. A Jew would not go to a Gentile's home because it would make them ceremonially unclean. They would keep their distance. 
They were slaves and they were the free. And free people didn't want to associate with the slaves and the slaves would despise the free. There were males and females. And just like today, there was the battle of the sexes. Except in Paul's day, women were treated very, very badly. Not allowed to vote. Not allowed to give testimony in court. Treated as inferior. Can you imagine people from those groups all being in the same room? I guess there would be tension. Naturally, it would never happen. Except... People from all of those groups responded to the preaching of the gospel. People from all that diversity found themselves gathered as the church. Back in that day, the church met in homes. Can you imagine? Maybe it was a free person's home. Maybe it was a Jewish person's home. As the Gentile Christian comes, knocks on the door to worship. The slave appears. And that's why in Galatians 3.28, a letter that will be literally taken round the churches and read out. And in that context, perhaps in a situation in the early days where people weren't sure where to sit, it happens sometimes in church. Who am I going to sit with? And I'm guessing all the Jews were together and all the Gentiles were together and all the slaves were together and all the free were together. And the reader would read these words. Galatians 3.28 There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Now if I was the Apostle Paul, I would then go and say, would you now like to change seats and mix up a little bit? See, Paul is saying what unites us is greater than what divides us. So he says, make every effort to work at unity. It's worth it because it says something to the world about Jesus. In verse 12 of our passage, Paul says, our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood. But against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And in the context of Ephesians 6. Paul is speaking to Christians. He's not speaking to unsaved people. He's speaking to Christians like you and me. And he's saying to you and me, look, you need to put your armor on because there is an enemy and from time to time he will have a go at you. In verse 11 of our passage, Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. John Piper, brilliant theologian and writer, he says, All humans have a supernatural enemy whose aim is to use pain and pleasure to make us spiritually blind. Pain and pleasure. You see, the pursuit of pleasure causes some to drift away. And so many times as a pastor, as I have sat with people, when the pleasure has been and gone, so often it turns out it really wasn't worth the price. Regret is huge. In Hebrews 11.25, it tells us Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. 
The New Living Translation puts it like this. Moses chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. And so there is pleasure in sin. Of course there is. But it's fleeting. It's a season. It has its moment. The fleeting pleasures of sin could have cost Moses his destiny. His destiny to lead a nation. To see the Red Sea part. To bring great glory to God. He could have missed out on all of that. So I say to you this morning. Don't sacrifice relationships. Don't jeopardize what God has for you. For the sake of short lived fleeting pleasures of sin. As well as pleasure. Piper says the enemy uses pain. To draw us away from God. We live in a fallen world. A world that is not as God intended it to be. And in this imperfect world, Christians are not immune from struggle. And they are not immune from pain. You know that. The pain of tragedy. The pain of injustice. The pain of unanswered prayer. The pain of those why questions where you just can't find a satisfactory answer. How deeply moving it has been to see some of those Sri Lankan Christians trying to deal with the pain of the aftermath of that terrorist attack. Christians who lost children, sons and daughters, husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, parents. One father left the service early with two of his children, the wife and the rest were in and their lives were gone. The BBC correspondent makes the point, he made the point, that for some it has brought doubts. And he homes in on one Christian man who is obviously in the depths of grief. And he's effectively saying, I prayed, but where is God? Why has this happened? And the pain of why questions where you just can't find a satisfactory answer And for each and every one of us at different levels, we all have seasons in life where we ask these kind of questions. And in those seasons, the enemy uses another one of his well-known schemes. He whispers his lies. God doesn't love you anymore. God has abandoned you. God doesn't exist. You must be a bad person. God is punishing you. In verse 16 of Ephesians 6, Paul refers to those as the flaming arrows of the evil one. And the enemy knows just when to fire them, usually when we're tired, usually when we're low, usually when we're feeling the pain of loss or struggle or things we don't understand. Those are the moments the enemy comes in and he fires those arrows. God's abandoned you. He doesn't love you anymore. In these seasons, we wrestle with questions. We wrestle with doubts. And I want to tell you this morning, it's okay to wrestle with doubts. And it's okay to wrestle with why questions. It's exactly what David does in Psalm 13. If you look at the first three verses of Psalm 13, here's what David says. He's crying out to God and he's saying, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? There are psalms of lament because there were seasons when God's people found themselves in a difficult place they couldn't understand and they would lament and cry. And there is a place for lament in the Christian walk. The children of Israel cried out by the rivers of Babylon where we wept when we remembered Zion. How long, says David, must I wrestle with my thoughts? And if I could interview David, I would like to bet it was when he was trying to get to sleep. And those thoughts would just buzz round and round and round and round. You see, David knew what it was to rejoice in victory. David knew what it was to slay the giant and to see his enemies scatter. But in this season, he's struggling. And he pours out his questions and he pours out his frustrations to God. And David shows us it's okay to do this. In fact, it's often necessary to do it. But the challenge for David and the challenge for you and me is by God's grace to come out of the place of wrestling and to come to the place of resting. We can visit the place of doubting. I've done it. I'm sure you have too. But it's not the place to settle. It's not the place for us to live. With God's help, we need to live in the place of trusting. And that is not always easy. The very nature of trust is that to live there, I don't need to have all the answers. In fact, if I've got all the answers, I'm not sure I need to trust. And in this life, we may never have all the answers. The very nature of faith. Is that to live by faith means I live sometimes with questions. And as I walk with God, and as I go on with God, the questions live alongside me. And by God's grace, I choose by faith to trust. This is exactly what David does. It's what he expresses at the end of Psalm 13. He's poured out his heart to God. He's expressed his doubts, his frustrations, his questions. It's good to do that. There's a place for that. There's a place for lament. And then in verse 5 and 6, he finishes by saying this, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. And how sweet, how precious is the song that comes from that place. Habakkuk the prophet does the same when he realizes God has told him. He realizes he's about to enter a very, very difficult season in his life. His country is about to invade it. The Babylonians, they're, they're, on, they're on their way. And it's going to be a season of struggle, of pain. Habakkuk knows it's coming. And the galling thing for Habakkuk is it's not even his fault. He's lived a right life. He's lived a good life. It's not even his fault. But he knows there's a season now where there will not be plenty. And so in Habakkuk 3 verse 17, he comes to this place. 
and speaks these words. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. It's not an easy place to get to. It's not easy in the season of struggle to get to that place, but it is a precious place. It is a place of a peace that that the world can't give and that you and I can't explain. In over 40 years as a Christian and over 30 years as a pastor, I've been through numerous seasons of struggle for myself and have walked through many with others too, many of you. I've known many times when the doctors have said someone would not live. People have prayed and they lived. Either through the medical profession or a sovereign touch from God or a mixture of both. God raised them up and so we rejoiced. I've also known many times when I have pleaded with God to heal or to bring a breakthrough. And the breakthrough didn't come. Do you know the Apostle Paul shared this very experience? The mighty Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians 12 verse 8 he says this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to remove this thorn in the flesh and to take it away from me. Three times Paul says. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. I pray, I pray for you. I pray that in all our wrestling, all our questioning and struggling, God will help us come to a place of rest. I pray that whatever your circumstances, just like the Apostle Paul, you will know a mighty outpouring of grace from heaven in Jesus' name. A grace that is more than sufficient for you. A grace so overflowing that you will experience the strength you never knew you had. I pray just like the Apostle Paul, that in the midst of weakness, you will know the power of God like you have never known before. I often read the words of Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. I visit these words on a regular basis, particularly when I have questions I just can't find an answer to. And here's what the prophet says. Here's what God says through the prophet rather. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. As I reflect on these words, I am overwhelmed with a sense of how big God is. And how small I am. All I know and all I see and all I understand can be written on the back of a postage stamp. In comparison to what God knows and what God sees. So I have found I can rest in his sovereignty. I can trust That the judge of all the earth, the one who knows all, the one who sees all, the one who knows the end from the beginning, I can trust that he will do what is right. 
Even with my questions, even with the things that I just can't work out, I can come to a place where I can't work it all out and I can't keep on wrestling with it because, frankly, it wears me out. So I put it to the side and I say, God, I trust you. I come to that place where I choose to trust you. I trust you with my life. I trust you with what I know. And I trust you with what I don't know. I can take up the shield of faith. The Paul, the apostle exhausted, you put on that armor. Don't, don't just suffer and go downhill in, in those areas. You put on that armor and you pick up that shield of faith. I can stand on God's word. I can reject the lies of the enemy. I can extinguish those flaming arrows by faith. I can offer that sacrifice of praise and sometimes it is a sacrifice. A million miles away from what I feel. By faith I can lift my voice with David of old and I can say, I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. I have a testimony. Hallelujah, God has been good to me. God has blessed me. God has poured grace upon grace into my life. I will rejoice in my salvation. I will sing redemption song and the enemy will not rob me of that song. The angels can't sing it. The demons can't sing it. Only you and I can. I will rejoice in my salvation for when I was lost, he came and found me. When I was in darkness, he turned on the light and revealed himself to me. When I was unlovely, he loved me. And every day of my life, his love never fails as we sang. His grace, I can't get my head around this, it never runs dry. In spite of all our mistakes and our mess-ups and all the things that we do, every day of our lives, fresh grace. Are you glad about that this morning? His mercy, says the scripture, they are new every day. So even if the fig tree does not bud, and the vines produce no grapes and the crops fail, and the sheep pen is empty, yet will I praise him. C.S. Lewis wrote the classic book, The Screwtape Letters. It's a great read if you've never read it. It's a story, it's a parable the senior demon, he's training the junior demons in ways to get Christians to grow cold and fall away from God and doubt God. And he's training them in all the schemes and the things that work best with Christians. And the senior demon says to his junior demons, well, there are some things that are a disaster for our plans and our cause and our schemes. And he says this, our cause is never more in danger then when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do God's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished, and he asks, why has he been forsaken, yet still obeys? In the words of verse 13 of our passage, we will stand our ground. And having done everything to stand, we will stand firm in Jesus' name. For some of you this morning, I want to say with all my heart, stand firm.
hold your ground. Stand firm in Jesus' name. And you do not stand alone. The Apostle Paul saw many answers to prayer. He saw many miracles. But in Philippians chapter 4, he tells us, I have known some seasons where it wasn't all miracles. And it wasn't all answers to prayer. I have known some seasons where it was a struggle. Seasons where I was in great need. Seasons where I actually went hungry. But in those seasons, Paul says, God gave me a strength that enabled me to persevere. A strength that enabled me to get through, to be more than a conqueror. Not just to scrape through, but to be strong in the process. Paul says, I have learned. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Stand firm. Hold your ground. For in those seasons and in those moments, there is a strength that comes from the rock Christ Jesus himself. And you will be more than a conqueror. In 2 Corinthians 4.9, the apostle says, we are struck down, but not destroyed. The J.B. Phillips translation renders it, we are knocked down, but never knocked out. And I declare over you this morning. You may be knocked down at the moment. You may be on the ropes. You may have hit the canvas a few times. But I declare over you this morning, you will never be knocked out in Jesus' name. Knocked down, but never knocked out. I pray strength for every one of you this morning. A divine strength. A supernatural strength that will enable you to do all you need to do and more in Jesus' name. I love the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. God spoke to Joseph in a dream and God's word over Joseph's life was, you're going to the top in this family. That was against convention. He was one of the youngest. But you're going to the top and this family, well, they're going to bow down to you. And pretty much from the moment of getting that word, guess what happens? Everything goes wrong. Encounter with God, marvelous word from God, then it all goes wrong. And pretty much from that moment, it went from bad to worse for Joseph. Nothing in his life remotely reflected what God had said. And it would be that way for many years. And so he sold into slavery by his own family. Then he did a two-year stretch in prison for something he didn't even do. Genesis 39, verses 20 to 23. I just love this passage. But while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. I think this is really, really important for some people here this morning. I think there's an anointing on these words for some. Even in the place of restriction, Joseph experienced the favor of God. 
And for those of you at the moment who feel you are in a place of restriction, I pray the favor of God to break out all around you in Jesus' name. Stand firm. Hold your ground. Lift up your head. For even in that place of struggle, even in the place of restriction, you can know the favor of God. For Joseph, the place of restriction became the place of encounter. In the place of restriction and struggle, Joseph had a fresh encounter with God himself. I pray a fresh encounter for your life in the name of Jesus. I pray that in that place, as you stand firm, as you hold your ground, as you turn your heart and voice and mind to worship, I pray in that place you will encounter the living God. I declare over you this morning, the place of restriction will not hold you back in Jesus' name. I declare over you this morning, the place of restriction will become the place of blessing in the name of Jesus. I declare over you this morning that the place of restriction and all that is intended from the enemy will be reversed and will become a place of much blessing in the name of Jesus. The writer to the Hebrews compares our journey in life to a race. And the race is not a hundred meter sprint, it's a marathon. So the writer says in Hebrews 12, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the author of our faith. In other words, he chose us and he called us. In other words, Jesus knew everything there is to know about you, the good, the bad and the ugly, and he chose you anyway. Jesus came right into your darkness. He's the author of your faith. He came right to where you were and he called you to himself and he made you a son and he made you a daughter. And I tell you this morning, Jesus doesn't make mistakes. You're not a mistake in Jesus' name. People may have written you off, they may have written you out, but God has written you in. He's written you into his book of life. He's written into, your, into his family. He's the author of our faith. He chose you. You see, Jesus began something in you. And Philippians 1.16, the Apostle Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, he will carry it on to completion in the name of Jesus. Jesus began a good work in you and he's never ever going to give up on you. He is the one who in the words of Jude he is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy in Jesus name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Let's stand together friends. We're going to sing a closing song. I think it's just relevant Maybe you can make it your song and your testimony. It's the, it's the newer version, the modern version. It is well with my soul. There's one of the lines in the song that says, The wind and the waves still hear his voice. It's true this morning, isn't it? So let's worship him.
Let's lift our hearts to him. I pray, Spirit of the living God, as we sing this song, I pray, Lord, your word minister into every heart, into every mind. In Jesus' name, amen.